Hey friends, this is Holly Bame Lytle, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism in the Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's panel of exceptional autism parents. All right. Thanks for joining me. I have just, we're doing a one-on-one interview today because I have Tanya here. You guys have probably listened to her on, gosh, how many episodes have you I have no idea. Now, first question, have you listened to every episode of Isaac's Autism in the Wild podcast? <laughs> Honestly, no. I've listened oh, to some, but okay. I have, I'm not caught up. Oh, okay. So do you, how do you go about t- like deciding which ones you listen to? Like the ones that you recognize? Oh, wait, I think I, re- I podcasted on that one. Or do you listen to the ones you oh, don't I pref- podcast? I prefer the... The ones that I'm not on. Yeah. Okay. I'm just curious because it's always interesting when I go in and I look at some of the statistics, it's like you can see some are really popular and then you see some, you know, are okay. And then you just kind of, I always wonder if, you know, like you go through, because I do that with some of the podcasters that I follow. I look for, especially when they're on professional development, I kind of scroll through what the topics are and mm -hmm. then it's like, oh, that one doesn't really apply to me. That's just, you know, like whatever. Well, one, I don't like how I sound on tape. I never have. And two, I was like, I was there for it. See, that's what I think too is I, um, Actually, I sometimes forget as I do interviews with people, if you know this, you'll probably figure out I have an index card that I actually make notes of because I do so many of these. I sometimes forget what I've talked about or I'll actually confuse. No, 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 no. You didn't talk about that on this podcast. You talked about it on a different one. So I usually make notes of what I'm talking about. So interesting. Well, Tanya, I figured, well, on my goal for 2020 was I wanted to start capturing some of my regular podcast parents to just do one-on-one interviews because in part, if you're not listening to every single episode and then sometimes we release ones out of order. um, So we might record one on regression, um, but, and then we'll record immediately right after their like, you know, um, we'll talk about, so we talked about regression and the next one we recorded was loss of adult friendships and somebody will make a reference about what well, we just, you know, like in that podcast about regression, we talked about la, 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 la. Well, sometimes you don't order them in the right order. And so then people like, it's a little bit, um, skewed. So I thought, Oh, you know, it'd be worth interviewing some of my regular parents because then you can get the full story because sometimes when we're talking about regression, you'll introduce yourself and you're only talking about a situation with your child that's pertinent to regression or something, Mm -hmm. but you don't get the full story unless you listen to every single podcast, you may not get the full story of who Tanya is. So let's start at the beginning, Tanya. Like you have two boys. Yes. I have two boys ages. My neurotypical son is seven and in first grade. And then my child with autism is nine and in fourth grade. Okay. And then your previous world before you became a mother, you, I was a school counselor. Mm-hmm. I was a school counselor at a high school for three years. And then, um, I got married, got pregnant with my oldest Logan and I left school counseling to become a stay at home mom. And during that time I went back to school part-time and got my teaching license. Gotcha. And, um, out of curiosity, I can't remember cause like things start getting a little blurry for me because I do a lot of podcasting. Um, did you podcast on the topic of the guilt of the working parent? No. Okay. So this is a really good, interesting question because it was a very well-attended podcast. A lot of parents came out and joined us for that one. And um, so, but most of the parents that joined us on that were all working parents. And it was actually interesting because a lot of them said, um, 
you know, that while you have guilt about working, mm-hmm. um, most of them said that they actually like that was their escape and they needed that in order to, to be a better parent. They needed yes. to work. Um, so how has it been being a stay at home mom? Now, granted, your part time subbing. Yes. Um, currently, but yes. you just started that. What, I just last, started that about a year ago, about a year ago. That's what I thought. Um, so did you enjoy being a stay at home mom? Um, yes, you did. I did. So you would have been content with that being a stay at home mom. Yes. But I also think I wanted to go back to, cause I, I did go back for one year. Oh, you did. Uh-huh. Oh, I when, did not know yeah, that. When I could, because I got my teaching license. So I went back when Logan was in preschool actually. Oh. And I went and taught second grade for one year. Okay. And that was, okay. So you were a school, a school counselor and then you decided to go back and get your teaching certificate. Yes. So then you could do either or. Yes. Okay. And so, um, how did, when you were going back to school and then doing your, um, the classroom piece of that, yes. how did that, how did that feel? Was it like stressful? It was stressful. Um, I had both my kids in daycare because they weren't quite school aged yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Logan, through um did qualify though for the school district preschool but that was only part-time so he would go to daycare part-time and then preschool part-time and so then it was um so it was stressful did you have any guilt no i mean guilt about it you just it was stressful just it was stressful i think also because first year teachers it's a very stressful year when you're a first year teacher because you end up taking a lot of it home with you and so i remember feeling like going in on the weekends to get things done which i like reserving the weekends for family time. And I would have to go in to get things done in my classroom. So I see. Okay. So then you went back to just being stay at home mom. Yes. We moved states. Oh, moved states. So that was kind of, that was kind of transition point because uh, Logan was going to be starting kindergarten and having taught in the state. I was like, no, he's not going to go into special education in the state. Because at that point he had been identified. He hadn't, he hadn't, but he was delayed. He was Qualified with a developmental delay at the okay. time. Okay. So he had been classified as developmental delay. You yes. knew where you were moving states and you were like, okay, so mm-hmm. what does that look like? So we moved from Nevada to Texas and um, he was started kindergarten there. And that's when we realized like when you put him in a classroom, because before he had been in the developmental preschool and there was only oh, 10 kids. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Smaller environment. Yeah. Less going on. Put him in a classroom with 22 other kids and one teacher. And we realized this is not going well. Yeah. And so the school district did a reeval since we had moved states and they actually qualified him under the category of autism before he had his medical diagnosis. Interesting. Yeah. That's always kind of dicey. Schools are mm-hmm. always, they're like, oh, well, we can't diagnose a kid with autism. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that in Texas, they had actually did a screening. And so did they actually tell you that, hey, we, well, he through bar- this process, yeah, we he barely, feel like- they barely, he barely met the qualifications for their category of autism because school districts do do it differently than medical oh. professionals. They have a different criteria you have to meet. So some higher functioning kids don't always qualify for the autism at the school. Sure. But he did and he wasn't medically diagnosed. So then we took him to a developmental pediatrician and got him medically diagnosed. And um, prior to this, before this, when he was just developmental delay, we actually went back and forth with his early intervention specialist of whether or not we should have him evaluated or not. But he was so very social when he was younger, but we didn't realize until kindergarten how inappropriately social he was. Yeah. And so, and 
what people miss is that social communication piece. Like Mm -hmm. highly verbal does not mean Mm -hmm. that they're using communication in an appropriate way. Mm -hmm. And that is really what is throwing a lot of providers off because they Mm -hmm. don't understand the nuances of what appropriate social communication looks like. I was very concerned he actually wouldn't get a medical diagnosis because he was so verbal. Mm -hmm. And so when he went in, I was like, oh my goodness, he does really well one-on-ones. You see more problems when he's in a group of kids. Yeah. And so I was concerned that he wouldn't get a diagnosis, but I was able to watch the evaluation and his developmental pediatrician had him, um, one kept trying to ask him about Christmas. We had just had Christmas and we had just gone on vacation and tried try to ask him questions about what he got for Christmas and what we did on vacation. And Logan wasn't interested in talking about that. So he kept changing the subject around on the oh. doctor. He kept changing it back to star Wars, his interests. And mm-hmm. so, Um, Which to me is like, oh, big red flag. Yep, right there, right? Mm -hmm. And so he kept turning the topic around on him. He did not want to talk about what the questions he was being asked. And so. Okay. And so that was still down in Texas. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then you moved to Washington. Yes. Okay. And you actually grew up in Washington, didn't you? Like in Spokane. Yes. Okay. So you moved back to Spokane. And um, so you have been a stay-at-home mom in this process. Yes. And so one of the things that I, you were my go-to person on, and if you've listened to any of our podcasts, you'll know that Tanya is kind of one of my um, IEP mom gurus. Okay. And let's talk about why that came about. It wasn't because, well, let's back up and say, when you were a school counselor, your job was to like supervise um, the 504 plans. 504s, yes. Yeah. And so you had some information and knowledge about 504s. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you came to Spokane and your kiddo was struggling, mm-hmm. um, that really necessitated the need for you to become an expert. Yes. And IEP on IEPs and the laws that protect your child when it comes to a free and appropriate education. Yes. Also in the least restrictive environment. Yes. I bought a bunch of books on the law and on IEPs and on advocacy just to like learn as much as I could. And I go to every single training that I hear of. Yes. Even still, I still do. Yes. And you're talking about so how many hours in terms of like trainings do you think that you've sat in on? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's been Maybe a lot. It's been quite a few. Yeah. I don't think there's ever been a training that's happened around here that you haven't been yeah. in attendance. Now, when you do these trainings, do you feel like that there's still like new stuff that you're learning? There's always new stuff. Really? I okay. always feel like there's stuff that I'm learning, especially if the trainings are done by someone different. Oh, okay. Well, so I've done a lot of trainings by PAVE here. Sure. Which is, um, they help parents with advocating for themselves if you need someone to go with you to IEP meetings, but they've done a lot of trainings and- um, but all their trainings have been different, the ones I've gone to. So they they take a part of the IEP and focus on just one part. So like one of their trainings was just on how to write SMART goals. Yes, yeah, SMART goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about what SMART stands for us because we were always like we I f- always forget what the acronym is. So the, um, the S, S is specific. Yeah. So, you know, the problem is sometimes yeah. they're too general, general and they're yeah. not specific enough mm-hmm. um, in order to make it like um, – tangible, which, yes. which is actually, isn't that the T? What's the T? Oh, time. time. Time is T. Yep. Um, yeah. So you want to make sure that they're specific and not too like general because yes. otherwise it becomes complicated. So that's the S. So the M is um, measurable, measurable because that's the thing too. It has to be something that where you can, measure. you can measure like, okay. So for instance, one of Caleb's measurement tools is that in, you know, four out of five instances of whatever it is, the mm-hmm. goal is the specific goal he will respond, you know, correctly or mm-hmm. appropriately um, 
without any prompting or something like that. And it's, so it's measurable and, and over three consecutive times, you know what I mean? That sort of thing. So even how many times, so Mm -hmm. if you did it one day, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's measured over so many many occurrences. So when we're talking about, it has to be measurable. It can't just be, well, he's going to have more friends. How are we going to measure how we're to see? Yes. So attaining that goal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think where, again, we have to be specific and it has to be measurable. measurable. Okay. So that was the M. So the A is so specific, measurable, well, attainable. attainable. Okay. I was like, yes. Attainable, relevant. Okay. I was right on that one too. Yes, I wasn't sure. I didn't based. want to say it without. Yeah. And T is time based. Okay. Yeah. So again, usually, okay. So when we're talking about attainable is, is that, you know, I want, you know, Caleb to have more friends. Well, again, he may be a kid that may mm-hmm. not ever, he will have like one or two really good friends, but he's never going to have a lot of friends. And so yeah, what you want to make attainable? sure it's a goal that you can actually meet. Yeah. Something yeah. that it's going to be impossible to meet. Yeah. Like Caleb being able to do sixth grade math. Mm-hmm. It's never going to be attainable mm-hmm. for him in a 12, like in a in, one, one, in one school year. Because year. we're talking about time is usually one, one school, school year. year yeah. And it really shouldn't go more than what? Mm-hmm. 15 months, in my opinion. You shouldn't yeah. ever have a goal be longer than 15 months without looking at it. Um, so anyway, so you've done all of these trainings with... Um, with PAVE. What books? Do you remember the name? Like what's your favorite um, book that you read? That most of them like, are written by... Pete Wright. Pete Wright. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he's that rights law. Yes. Or rights. Well, it's rights law, but rights if you law. Go, yeah, he yeah. has a website. website. Yeah. Okay. So if you were to recommend you a would book, re- yeah. I would do um, from emotions to advocacy is one of his books that I really enjoy. Oh, okay. Perfect. We'll actually put a link in the comments when we're posting this too. Um, and so talk about a little bit when we, the need that, that necessitated you becoming an expert, if you will, because you were really struggling in your school district because of behavior. He's very yes. capable. He's, He's very capable academically. Highly verbal. Highly verbal. So people th- seem to have this. One of my biggest like disability pet peeves oh, yeah. is how much people base services based on IQ. Yes. Because you can have an average IQ, but still have significant challenges and need. And I feel like sometimes IQ is like used as the spaces of how much need a child has. And it shouldn't be because my child still had very significant challenges, even with an average IQ. So what was happening? So he would get overwhelmed in an environment, Mm -hmm. too many kids, too much stimulation. And he would have a meltdown Mm -hmm. and I would get a call and he would get suspended. And when he he has meltdowns, he can act aggressive at times. Mm -hmm. He has, he has that really good fight or flight response. He has severe anxiety. So he would run too from the classroom. um, He would, if he wasn't allowed to run, that's when he would fight. Oh, gotcha. But it, he do, he doesn't run elope in the sense of like he would never leave the school oh, grounds. Yeah, no, he, no. Yeah, he's he would, removing himself yeah, from. He this. would remove himself from what was stressing him out and go to someplace comfortable, usually the resource room. Gotcha. Without asking, he would just go there because gotcha. that was his place of comfort. So and think about the resource room too, because we talked about this. The resource room, lower kids, mm-hmm. you get more like one on one. Yep. So he's more successful. Mm-hmm. So of course, why wouldn't you want to be in the resource room compared to this room that you're wanting me to be in with 22 kids? Like mm-hmm. this just sucks. I know. And now that he's in fourth grade and the number of students in classes has risen. Yeah. What is it? 28 or 29? Well, actually he has 26 in his class, oh, I okay. believe right okay. now. So, so, but next year it will be more in fifth grade, I believe. Yeah. Every year it's, yep. it grows up, it gets higher. So, um, so he ended up being put on half days. Yes. And that was my choice. Yes. So I chose to, I was like, he wasn't being supported in the classroom to where he could stay. I was getting constant phone calls. He was suspended seven times in a semester. Yeah. So I chose to take him out of school 
And it was actually his special education teacher at the time who suggested that since he does well in her room for his reading and writing group that I drop him off for that. Oh. So she's the one who suggested because I was ready to pull him in just completely homeschool. Sure. And so what we did is. Which at least you have the skill set for yeah. that as a teacher. Whereas me like homeschooling my child like. Yeah. Ha, 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 well ha, and this ha, was ha. when he was in second grade which is the grade level I taught. So oh. I had tons of second grade sure. stuff. Sure. Yeah. So. Okay. So. Oh. Fire trucks going by. So. Um. So he did that for what the half of the rest of the half of the school. Just yeah, for the, the half, year, the second half of second grade. Gotcha. And we gradually before the end of second grade, we gradually increased to where he was staying through lunch. OK, but then the next school year, you actually had a little bit of a pushback about him adding. Well, more. we added time to 115, but then we were doing ABA therapy. And oh, so. Gotcha. Um, but except, and he went full day one day, but I was told because he hadn't been in the classroom and he, this was putting him back in general education that he would have support. Oh, and, and so, this is where the fight came in, in terms of what yes, does support so, look like? Yes. And well, so he would have like a para with him. Mm -hmm. And so first day of school comes and I find out he doesn't have a para with him. Second, second or third day of school, I get a call from the school. He's having a difficult time. I come in and this was our assistant principal who was new that year. So she didn't know my child very well. And I was like, does he have a para in there with him? And she was like, no. I was like, he should. Yeah. And so, yeah. So this created that fight. So then they finally got a para for him during part of the morning, but not the whole time. When, when, yeah, not the whole time. When he had specialists, he had a para, but not when he was in his general education third grade classroom. Which is really when he needed it the most. most yes. And so that's when I went to the principal and told her that, well, I had already emailed our director of special education, but I went to the principal and said, I'm attending school with him until he has support in there because it's not fair to his teacher. Yeah. So I well, because imagine the meltdown. Yeah. It's disruptive for the whole class. Mm -hmm. Also, too, it's not creating like a sense of like, oh, hey, Logan, I want to be your buddy when yeah. you've got lots of behaviors. It's just like no. socially yeah. detrimental as well. So it's in everybody's best interest to provide the support so that he gets to be as successful as yes. he can be. Yes. And so I attended school with him for about a week. I didn't, I only attended that sh short amount of time because he had reading and writing group, but it was only like a 30 minute chunk that during the day that he didn't really have support in gen ed. And so I attended with him and finally they um, put a pair with him during that time. But then came the problem with the school because our school district had decided they were trying to get away from one-on-ones at the time. <laughs> He had four different paras with him throughout the week. Oh, so there was no consistency. There was no consistency. And he's a child who's very big on like relationships. He needs to have a positive relationship with the person in order to respond to him. So he And yeah. he's so schedule oriented and he routine is. oriented. Like of all of the kids that like he pops out in my mind of he just thrives with the yep, schedule. With the schedule. And so having four different paras wasn't working. Yeah. And so he was still struggling even having a para because he had four different ones. And so we had an IEP meeting and this is the only time I think in all my IEP meetings where I actually lost my temper. Yeah. And we've talked about yeah. that before. I, I was like, I don't lose my temper easily. No. And it's the only time I ever have. And I, I would pay money to be a fly <laughs> on the wall that day. Honestly. Truly. Yeah. We actually had to stop the meeting because it was no longer productive because of like, and so that that's when I went above everyone and above our even special ed director and scheduled an appointment with our assistant superintendent of learning services. Oh, okay. And lo and behold, two days before my meeting with her, they hired a para for him. Imagine that. I know. So at what point did you decide in this whole educational process, you felt like you had to start doing your research and becoming like more like informed on mm -hmm. the IEP process and the laws? Like, was I, it when he was in the second grade and he was being suspended? It was when it was when he was in second grade being suspended because up until that point when we were in Texas, kindergarten, he was kind of all over the place. But kindergartners but, are. Yeah, kindergartners are. And 
I like his administration was really great at that school. And so like they would have a walkie talkie. And so if he needed to like PE was hard for him. So like either the principal or sister principal would come get him and just take him to a quiet place like the library. Mm -hmm. But they never suspended him there for his behavior. And then first grade is when um, right before first grade, he got diagnosed with ADHD is when we put him on medication and he all of a sudden started completing work and being able to focus and was calmer. So first grade was actually his best year to date in all his years of school. And Mm -hmm. so I didn't have to worry about it quite as much there. And so it wasn't until we moved. Gotcha. Is the, um, do you feel like, cause you still say that there's like that you, by even though we consider you to be one of our mom IEP experts and we always pull you in when Mm -hmm. we've got some kind of weird, unusual things, you don't, you don't actually consider yourself an expert, right? You just feel like you've gone to a lot of trainings, but you, and you know a lot, but Mm -hmm. you always have said, it's like, oh, well, it's not like I know everything about this. No. And if I, and if I, there's all if I have something that I don't agree with or I think that the, they're doing wrong and they're like, no, this is how we do it. I go directly to the source. I've contacted the parent liaison at OSPI just to ask for guidance. And so they've given me guidance on things where I was like, you know, this is what my school district is telling me. I don't agree with it because it doesn't seem right to me. And just to ask for clarification. And, and here's, do you agree that sometimes the interpretation of what the, like the laws are what they mm-hmm. are, mm-hmm. but sometimes how the school districts are interpreting, interpreting them, them yeah. is really kind of the, like mm-hmm. the head scratcher, I think. Yeah. And so, um, and that's where I think I really admire, I really admire you because again, it doesn't make sense to you. Like when you're looking it up and you go online or just the trainings that you've attended, Mm -hmm. you have done that. You have said, Hey, here's what they're telling me. Here's what they're, what they're like referencing. Mm -hmm. Can you explain this or tell me if this is correct? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And sometimes, so it is true that sometimes the interpretation, Mm -hmm. um, how they interpret the law law is actually, it's not always correct. Mm -mm. Um, And so that's where, again, so now you kind of have a reputation in your school district, right? Am I wrong? (laughs) Am I wrong to say that you kind of have a reputation? (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) Okay. Because you're going to get to the bottom of it and you're going to go just to the the highest body that you can get to, to clarify mm-hmm. and make sure that it's being interpreted yes. correctly. Well, and like I told him, it's not that I'm going to OSPI stands for our office. Um, special education. education. Yeah. Or our office OSB- of public instru- instruction. Instruction. Yes. yes. And so when I go to them, because that's also where you go to file complaints and stuff too. Yes. So if like, you're turning someone in, you go to the yes. OSPI office. You have a complaint with your school district. Yeah. You go through OSPI to file it. I wasn't going to them to file a complaint because my goal is I never want to get to that point where I feel like that's my only option. Yeah. I would rather work it out with the school district without having to go to those links because that's not fun for either side. And you have been successful at that. Yes. So you have never had to file a complaint, although you do know how to do it. Yes. But you have tried to work it out at whatever level is appropriate. But then you have also not been afraid to go one step ahead in incremental fashion. Yeah. So you didn't go just straight from the principal. I don't like what the principal is saying. Go straight to OSPI. Yeah. You went to the director of special education. Then you went to the next step. Person, yeah. Yeah. And so it was incremental steps. But in every single instance, one of the things that you've said has been successful is that you've had information to back up what you're asking for. Yes. Okay. So what does that look like? What has been the most valuable way of like being able to support why like the big fight was getting the one-on-one? Yeah. Well, well, once I got it, that was fine, but they refused to document it in his IEP. That was, and that's where I, I had a problem because I was like, to all my knowledge and trainings, any support a child has that allows them to access the general education curriculum is supposed to be documented in their IEP. 
it should not be left out because if we were to move schools, they would have no idea he had a Paris that he had Paris because it's not in writing because it's not in writing anywhere. Yes. Yes. But let's be real. So part of the reason why they don't like to put it in writing is because then if budget situations happen mm-hmm. or changes in staff, then they, if it's not in writing, then they're not legally required to, to have to provide it. Yes. Yes. And Which, so that is the big pushback for, mm-hmm. and so some of the interpretation is, is that the school district is telling you, well, we don't have to do that. We're already providing it. We don't have to put it in writing. writing yes. And you were saying, mm, no, I want it in writing. I want it in writing that he um, has this. Yes. And so that's, and so that's when I got. Um, guidance from OSPI and they did put it in writing. I mean, I don't agree with how it's worded, but it's at least there. Yeah. Um, so it's in writing. But the thing is, I told, and I've repeatedly told them, my goal is not for my child to always have a para with him. Yeah. So when he gets to the point where we can start fading support, we can write a more detailed in his IEP what his para is used for then and fade support. I'm not against that. Yeah. So let's be real. It's like we're not asking for this para to follow him around Our until pro- he graduates from no, high school. Not we're, at all. Yeah. And that's where I think too is that, um, and here's what I don't know, and, and I'm just speaking off the cuff here, is sometimes I think the school districts just assume the worst yes. because, let's be real, not every parent has, not every well, parent is like you, Tanya, yeah. where you're just like, hey, I don't want this forever. And where there, there are, are some, some parents, parents that are like, do. it's the security <laughs> blanket. It's like, yeah. I want to know that my child is safe yes. in your school, so I want a parent educator with him every single day mm-hmm. uh, for the rest of their high school, well, high school. And because Logan is highly verbal, we've talked about this, you know, and he knows that his goal is to eventually not have an adult with him all the time. And there are times, even now in the classroom, where he doesn't like having an adult, so I was like, if you don't want your para to help you, just let her know and she will help other students. And that's what she does. Yes. So as long if my son's not needing the support at that time, isn't having any behaviors and is following directions, she'll go and help other people and other kids in his fourth grade class. Which is really an asset for any teacher, yeah. right? So, and, and what a great way of teaching him how to be a self-advocate mm-hmm. because obviously he is mm-hmm. being coached that, hey, if I'm doing fine, then here's what my preferences are, which I think is great. Um, so now you, what's funny about all of this is that you are a substitute in yes. the school district yes. where you're set. actually the school. Yep. I sub at my kid's school. Yes. And so you are really immersed kind mm-hmm. of at a deeper level than your average parent. Yes. Um, and so um, by and large, so in this, I don't know the answer to this because I don't, we didn't talk about it in advance. Like, do you feel like um, in your district, which will remain nameless, um, do you feel like, um, because of your reputation, you have less issues than other people, maybe even at the same school. Like, so you have other families that are, have kids that are in special education mm-hmm. and they're struggling or their kids aren't really being supported. Like you can yeah. see as, as a parent and as a professional that, mm-hmm. hey, you know, this kid would benefit from having a change yes. in IEP. Do you see that or do you feel like by and large the school district is pretty good about doing what needs to be done and have the same I feel like at our school, the school district is, does a pretty good job. Um, we're at a school that have high parent involvement anyway. Mm-hmm. And so parents of other kids on IEPs are usually pretty involved. So you think that, do you think that that's one of the reasons why, like at your school, like you don't see like mm-hmm. discrepancies, I guess is yeah. the word I'm looking for is that um, sometimes I see, well, I don't really see it, but I hear of like glaring discrepancies just in terms of like what an IUP looks like for one kiddo and yeah. then another kiddo that's very, that's fairly similar has a totally different like IEP and the supports and well, accommodations. I haven't seen different. that at our school because one, I love our special education staff at our school, both 
the primary and the it's split by grades. Kindergarten through second has one and then third through fifth has another. Mm-hmm. And it's been great. And then we also have our DLC classroom with kids with more severe learning disabilities. And the teachers for those classrooms also are amazing. And I've subbed in both those classrooms. And so I feel like we have a really good staff at our school. So it's very consistent. Yes. It's do you very think consistent. parent involvement has a lot to do with that? Um, I don't know. I mean, I know the other kids I know who are special education have very highly involved parents. So, so you don't may, have any way to basically, I don't really have a basement. Are, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing is just talking to a lot of professionals. Um, some in the truancy court where there are case managers that support mm-hmm. students or trying to get them to attend school regularly. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have IEPs. And one of the things that these case managers say is, is that the difference between the kids that end up succeeding and kind of getting it together are the parent, like parent support yes. um, or a, a guardian or someone that takes a personal interest in the kid mm-hmm. and really pushes. And, you know, because sometimes you do have to encourage the schools Mm-hmm. to do what they need to mm-hmm. be doing. And without that nudge and without like a parent advocate mm-hmm. or a guardian advocate or someone yeah. pushing saying, no, this isn't working. We need to do something different. It's easier just to not. Um, and, you know, but here's the thing. We all know that by not supporting a child in the mm-hmm. way that they need to be supported, you're going to have more behaviors. They're not going to be, yes. your classroom is going to be chaos. So really it benefits everybody to make sure that you're putting solid IEP plans in place, putting supports in place because mm-hmm. then you have less behaviors and yet we're still working towards that. Yes. So, and you guys are you definitely, you guys are in a really good school district. So mm-hmm. all in all, as an autism parent, what are your biggest what are your biggest like concerns as an autism parent looking for the future, like towards the future for, for Logan? Like what is your thing that like would make you lose sleep? Just concerns. I think my biggest concern is having a kiddo who's verbal and conversational, higher functioning. I'm concerned for him more about, I feel like the school focuses so much with testing on academics. I'm really concerned more about the adaptive piece, like yeah. using self calming skills, asking for a break, like all the skills that come naturally to a lot of kids, but don't come naturally to him. Yeah. Turning in your homework, I can send him into school with his homework in his hand and it still won't always get turned in. So like executive function. <laughs> yes. Things. Yeah. Like why I'm are like, we not focusing on helping them to mm-hmm. have some of these skills to be successful? It's all fine and dandy if you can do the work, but if you mm-hmm. don't get it turned in, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And then also figuring I'm with you. I would love to see an alternate w- assessment. Yeah. Option because not all kids can perform in the standardized fashion. Mm-hmm. It's there. Um, but yet we're never going to get a solid read on where some of these kids are academically because the format. Well, yeah. And I feel like Logan does okay for the, his big struggles writing, but he is an ad- actually a pretty advanced reader and he does. Okay, he hates math, but he does okay in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so I feel like the academics will come. Yeah. But I feel like the stuff that doesn't come naturally to him, like, you know, just, when he's upset, he doesn't like taking breaks. He needs to learn how to, well, but he, breaks do help him calm down. He needs to learn how to effectively take a break when he's upset because yeah. it work, it does work for him. Yeah. Um, like just skills like that, like, and how to ask to join like a game outside at recess because he'll just go in and join even though he doesn't know the rules. Yeah. Well, do you feel like though that would benefit actually a lot of kids that may not meet mm-hmm. the criteria of an autism spectrum disorder? Because I have to be honest, yeah. like my neurotypical daughter right now, is uh, she's fourth grade and she is having a lot of social drama at school about, you know, kids just having to learn to play in like 
groups yes. or, you know, the fact that your friend wants to play with this girl one day, day and, then- and, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like just navigating that because the thing about it is, is that, you know, from my daughter's perspective, she cannot focus on the academics when she has the drama going on yes. because she's already thinking about the next recess and whether she's going to be rejected by the girl that she wants to play with because they can't figure out that you can play in groups of three. Um, or even groups of four. Um, it just doesn't seem to work like that. But- oh, yes. I think lots of people can benefit from that. My my typical seven-year-old could benefit from that. Right. Yes. And then, too, like we had a little instance, too, where someone, you know, put made a little note in writing about how, you know, they didn't want this girl being included. And, of course, you know, it dropped on the floor and somebody found it. And it was just absolutely devastating to this poor little girl mm-hmm. um, who is absolutely delightful. But, again, it's like, how about how do we teach conflict resolution? now? In neurotypical Mm -hmm. um, students, conflict resolution is very difficult. Mm -hmm. Conflict resolution becomes even more complicated when you have autism spectrum disorder. So I feel like it would make sense to actually, academics are important, but teaching people how to be decent human beings and, you know, identifying, you know, like when you're excluding people from playing, that feels like bullying. Yes. You know, and I loved my son's third grade teacher because she handled conflict within her classroom in a great way. And I didn't realize how she did it until I actually ended up subbing for her one day. Oh, really? Yes. And there was a conflict at recess and they asked if we could have a community circle. I was like, okay, I had never done it before because I hadn't been in there when they'd done this. And so they have a community, when there's a conflict between people in the class, they would have community circle. And they, the person holding the stuffed animal would be the one to talk and they would state, you know, what their conflict was and with whom. Mm -hmm. And then they would pass the stuffed animal to the person they had conflict with. And that person would first have to say, you know, so what I hear you saying is this. And then they would give their perspective and they would, and then people from the community circle would also offer input and they would at the class work out whatever the conflict was that happened. Well, because a lot of times it's a misunderstanding because it's like, you know what, how I read that situation was this, which is so much my son, Caleb, where he misreads social situations Mm -hmm. and it was never intended to be like that Mm -hmm. or intended in that fashion. But that was how he heard it. Yeah. So it takes you walking yeah. through it and tell me exactly what mm-hmm. happened. But she's the only teacher that? I've actually seen who does that. Yeah. And it was great. I was like, this is really neat. And you know what? I could see that would be so beneficial because that's mm-hmm. the thing. I really feel like as like um, a generation, they're not learning the skills of conflict resolution and they're not learning how mm-hmm. to, you know, just treat people with kindness. Yeah. And um, again, academics will come yes. on board. Yes. Um, and again, I really honestly think that we're request we're asking a lot of these kids, um, you know, Caleb, right now, his class is learning geometry. I didn't do that till 10th grade. He's a sixth grader. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I didn't um, do that till ninth grade. So thank you. Right. So it's like it's all of a sudden like, you know, stuff that my 10th grader at high school is doing is stuff I did in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to be honest with you. And so it's just interesting how this, you know, it's just shifting and there's just so much pressure um, when really I feel like we need to be working on social and emotional health and how. Yes how to recognize feelings like anxiety, mm-hmm. like this have some like awareness and teaching on what anxiety is and how it feels like. Yeah. Because again, like what he's, he doesn't recognize he needs a break. Mm-hmm. And, and so, he's very high anxiety and doesn't always, he doesn't know how to cope with that feeling. Yeah. He also doesn't know how and to cope with embarrassment. Yep. And he doesn't know how to cope with embarrassment either. So yeah. he gets embarrassed by his behavior, but his way of handling it is when he's embarrassed, he actually acts out more because he doesn't know how to handle that feeling. See, Whereas if you could coach them and wouldn't that benefit all kids? Yes. Because he's not the only one. It's just, it's 
his is to a higher, higher level. Yes. Whereas the other kids, you know, like it, they experience those same things mm-hmm. and their reaction is, well, I shut down or I yes. don't want to, you know what I mean? And so then just being self-aware, half of the battle in life is just being self-aware of your own garbage, I guess. Yes. <laughs> and then, okay, so what strategies? Like we were talking the other day about how, you know, when we're talking about loss of adult friendship, I had this epiphany um, just in that in my, I'm less likely to befriend and put myself out there with the moms and dads in my son, Caleb's class, because Caleb is the kid with the IEP. And so I am so prickly in that class because, you know, variety of reasons. And yet, you know, in my daughter's class, I know a lot of the parents Mm -hmm. and I socialize with them. They'll text me, the girls get together and that's totally comfortable. But see, I recognize it's half the, half the problem is recognizing that, okay, this is my problem and I'm doing this. Um, and I need to be figuring out strategies to work beyond it, not be so prickly and defensive. And again, but a half of it is awareness. Yes. And, um, but again, we don't, we send none zero time in terms of teaching kids. Now you have a school counselor background. So I would imagine that as a school counselor and you're pulling these kids out, you're dealing with trauma and like Mm -hmm. big stuff. And so you don't even get the benefit of being able to focus on some of these things. Yeah. And it would be building. Yeah. And the American school counseling association actually recommends a two to 250 student to one counselor ratio, which like no States follow that recommendation. So like we have one at our school, it's a social worker, but we have one for our almost 700 kids. We have 600 yes. and thank you. Cause yeah. my, our elementary school is 600 some kids and one, one counselor. Yep. So he is only spending time with the kids that have a lot of stuff that's yes. going on. Yes. Um, so again, we're having this issue with my neurotypical daughter's classroom and just this, just, you know, drama, I call it girl drama and getting the school count. It's just like, that is just not a high priority. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but it really should be because they have so many other things that they're having to do Yes, because they have such a high caseload of students to just them. And it was interesting because, you know, one of the parents reached out even to the teacher and just said, Hey, you know, like, here's the thing, this is what's going on. And his desire and willingness to really do a meeting, Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. you know, circle meeting or whatever you want. It's just like, well, we have, you know, lesson plan, you know what I mean? The lesson plan. But we have a lesson plan and we have to get to X, Y, and Z. And it's kind of like, but I feel like you really, because sometimes you you just have to, those meetings don't take that long. And if you don't get to all of it till the next day, it's still going to be there. But don't you feel like sometimes like when you have a conflict and you just have that opportunity to say, well, this is why I'm frustrated and how it made me feel. You feel better Better, because at least you got to say it. Say it, yeah. Why do you come to mom's night? It's because you've got problems or you've got a situation and you just want to get it off your chest and not that anybody there can fix it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we are lucky and you know, like you're there and you can say, Hey, here's what you need to do because it's an IEP thing. Or if it's a provider issue, you know, I might be able to weigh in, but sometimes it's just that life is hard Mm -hmm. and you're overwhelmed and, or your kiddo has regressed and you're scared and you just have to get it off your chest. And so when you're talking about that little like circle time, community circle time, some of Con- the conflict resolution mm-hmm. is just giving them an yeah. opportunity to you say did. how it made them feel. feel. Yeah. And then the person echoing what I'm hearing you say is yes. And then offering right. a little bit of, of like their perspective. Of yes. And then again, and sometimes it, with kids, it often truly is a misunderstanding. Oh, so much, so much. Yes. But again, that's large. That's a huge portion of really what the drama is, is yeah. that they don't feel heard um, and misunderstanding. So Anyway, interesting. Well, I like that idea. 
All right. Well, is there anything else like we talked about? What is the thing that you actually are the most encouraged with in terms of like we talked about the thing that makes you the most concerned looking to the forward, like looking forward. Is there anything that you're really encouraged by that um, has you like just excited about? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, Logan's been a part of a social skills group for this school year and while they're not always the most effective but he actually really enjoys going and it's like the one place i feel like i can drop him off and not have to worry about him because he's surrounded by therapists that's nice interesting (laughs) now how many kids are in the social group uh well there's only two others oh well there's actually three others but two of them one go because it's twice a week but one only comes on tuesday and the and another one only comes on thursday so So there's only two there's only two of them that come Logan and another boy come on both days. Okay. So there's a maximum of three of them at one time. Okay. That's so interesting because if you haven't listened, I just released earlier this week, um, a podcast, um, from a self advocate. Her name is Sophie and Sophie was talking about, um, I was asking her, you know, like she was explaining things that her mom really did well. Cause again, Sophie's, you know, in her twenties. So mm-hmm. her mom was one of the pioneers in terms of not, there was just not good information yes. out there and she had to figure out a lot on her own. So some of the things that, you know, Sophie was talking about are things that really worked. And then things looking back at the time it worked and she mm-hmm. was happy with how it rolled out. But looking back, she wishes, yeah, you know, maybe some things were changed. One of it was, is that she wishes her mom would have pushed her a little bit more socially. But with that being said, um, she says, you know, the answer for me is not, uh, throw me into a big social group to try and teach me social skills. Yeah. Um, the most effective way of helping me to learn and to become more social is the one or maybe two other people where I can work on it in a smaller environment. And so then when you're talking about, um, I get one of the most frequently asked um, questions I get, um, I would say in the top five, cause I have, I kind of have this rolling list of the things I'm asked the most each week is I need social opportunities for my child. Mm-hmm. And from Sophie's perspective, she's like, quit looking at it in terms of like a social group yeah, or, you know, like, you know, find one kiddo, um, maybe two, start with maybe just one mm-hmm. and then work on it in that context, because mm-hmm. the smaller, the better, like you cannot just throw throw me into a social group to try and teach me like social skills, even if there was therapeutic support and providers Mm -hmm. there, that is not where I'm going to actually learn like that social piece. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, because you know, there's probably a lot of parents out there that need to hear this is Mm -hmm. that um, the social groups that are working are ones where it's like Mm one-on-one, maybe like, you know, two or three of them. Um, But, you know, like changing the focus of what, so how you teach and, mm-hmm. and, and introduce social skills. And their group is a little bit like it's two hours, um, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so what they do is like at the beginning, they have playtime and depending on the weather, like um, sometimes when the weather was nicer, they would walk to Riverfront Park because it's downtown Ooh, nice. and they would do things there, but they would have like playtime. And then they spend a, a small part of the part of the session working on a specific like social skill. Like, yeah. and there's only three of them total. And so, and then, um, but then they have a lot of like just free play with each other though See, too. And that's where I think the magic happens. That's where you have yeah. to teach them mm-hmm. and be able to give them feedback, like yeah. constructive feedback mm-hmm. when it's free play. Because mm-hmm. let's be real. You know, that's why we call our training program Autism in the Wild. That's why we call this like Autism in the Wild. This is that, you know, it's never going to be controlled and yeah. organized, you know. And and so you're- I mean, really you're not usually teaching. sitting in a group where- no. you're, 
Yeah, so they will. So focus. what's free time? It's really in the wild. That's yeah, the way life they sit happens. There, they, they play with each other. They have a bunch of different toys, trampoline, and different things. And so, uh, and then because it's um, through his eight, where he gets eight, where he was getting ABA. So each child has to have one adult. So it's one adult to each child. So they oh, nice. can really, yeah. Really so start giving feedback, feedback and when they're having a difficult time because, you know, lots of conflict comes up when you play with someone else, especially with free play. Where especially now with it's free play when and it's who more than one side and it's other kids with autism, too, who are higher yeah. functioning in Logan's group case. So he's having, you know, they're having to work through it. They don't always like what the other person does. <laughs> It's interesting because um, I would love to know, because I don't have the answer to this. I would love to know whether or not an environment, like a situation like that, where all three of them are on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So they're having to work through it at the same time yeah. or whether or not there is that benefit to, you know, like Logan being the kiddo that's high functioning autism oh, yeah. and then two other kids that are neurotypical understanding that yeah. they're there to help, help. the process. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I mean, I always thought it would be neat to be in a social skills group with kids who are neurotypical, but yeah. trying to find like neurotypical kids to like participate in things yeah. like that. And that's where I feel hard. like you got to use the siblings. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because the siblings are just kind of like dialed into it, but yet still have high expectations. expectations like yeah. they, you know, well, in our family, Kelly has higher expectations of Caleb than Tyler. Tyler has lower expectations. <laughs> like Tyler is definitely the coddler um, for Caleb, whereas Kelly definitely pushes him whether he wants to be pushed or not. So mm -hmm. Kelly would be probably that ideal sibling where she's going to come in and, you know, like hold everybody to, to a high standard, but oh, whereas Tyler well, would just be like, it's Kel okay, buddy. You don't have to do that. And Kelly's like, the same age as Logan. Oh, Hey, They're both fourth graders. we should think <laughs> about that. Oh my gosh, Tanya. See, we just like see? fixed a problem that yes. we have. So I, I feel like, and now does Logan like playing Legos? Uh, a little bit, not okay. as much as his brother. Okay. See, Kelly plays Legos with, that's one of the things that, you know, she will do. Um, she does like, uh, Kelly's pretty versatile, but you know, it's one of those things where she will play Legos, which is not something I don't, you don't see as many girls yeah. loving Legos as, as boys. So I always use that as a uh, Kelly will play Legos. Legos. <laughs> yeah. But, oh my gosh, I will tell you some of the worst drop down drag out fights in our house is about Lego construction. Oh, well, so. Logan doesn't build Legos. My youngest Colin does. And Colin's pretty good for his age. Like he yeah. loves to build things. And so he builds all these things. He gets Legos all the time. That's what he always asks for for Christmas, for his birthdays. And then he builds them. But then once they're built, Logan wants to play with them. Oh, yeah. But Logan isn't the one who built it. And so Colin throws a massive seven-year-old meltdown over his brother touching his finished yes. Lego product. And we have that same problem too. Kelly loves to build them and then play with them like mm -hmm. as like they're mm -hmm. constructed. Mm -hmm. And then Caleb wants to pick them apart because he needs a piece uh, <laughs> for his creation because Caleb loves to make the creations. And you're like, yeah. yeah. And then you want to talk about just complete <laughs> and utter chaos. So anyway. All right. Well, I think we pretty much, we've covered yeah. a lot of ground. Again, it's kind of nice because in order to really get the full story about Tanya is you would have to listen to a lot of podcasts because little elements nice. come out here and there, but not like the full story. So mm -hmm. um, that's why I was thinking it might be fun for some of our regular parent podcasters to actually do just like a one-on-one. -on -one. So with that, we're going to go ahead and end today's episode of Isaac's Autism in the Wild. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.
And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.